Hello and welcome to a live edition of the BCSN Sports Wrap. Brian Fulford and A.D. Drew here coming off a long weekend, man. We were all over the country from all the way down in South Florida out to Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, It's good to be back in our homes and uh, congratulations to everybody. Everybody who went out and enjoyed games this past weekend, uh, you, you made it. You made it through the first weekend of the season. But man, we got a lot to talk about, a lot to unpack here. Drew, have you uh, have you recovered from the long weekend? No, <laughs> not till I get to my bed tonight. Then I might have a chance. Hey, it's, it's back to work for some of us. Some of us still grinding. A lot of us still grinding. Uh, you know, we hope you did it safely. Uh, yes, yeah, so definitely. We're recording this on a Labor Day Monday. Uh, normally in this particular time slot at this time, you'd be watching Knights of the Round Table, uh, hosted by Drew, of course, and uh, our brothers with the uh, HBCU Pro Sports Media Association. But that'll be tomorrow night, correct, Drew? Yes, tomorrow night, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 Central, after Dr. Cavill's inside the HBCU Sports Lab. All right. Well, so, you know, everything kind of get pushed forward today normally. Our show, uh, we do our live show on Sunday evenings right before uh, what will be uh, the time slot after us where uh, BJ Jones will be coming on after us on Sunday night. So uh, it was good to be out and about in, in those places. Uh, thank you to everyone uh, for supporting. It was good. You know, people, we, I bumped into different people down in South Florida. I know you, you guys did probably in Montgomery. So it's good to see that people are watching, paying attention to the Black College Sports Network. Uh, we appreciate you uh, you following and subscribing. Uh, continue to uh, to do so, like and share because it always helps. And make sure you download that Jericho Broadcast Networks app. Go to your Google or Apple Play Store and search my JBN or my BCSN. You know, Brian, I actually had some people who walked up to to me and it's like, "Yeah, I watch y'all all the time, man." I'm like, well, unless you hit like or share or subscribe, I don't know this, but I appreciate you. I definitely appreciate you. uh, Appreciate you watching us and everything. And I even had people telling me about some comment I made here or some comment I made there. Well, you know, just a little simple stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, So, again, thank you to everybody out there who's out and about. And, uh, you know, it was good to bump into some people 
down in South Florida, bumped into some guys, uh, you know, that cover from other groups, um, you know, HBCU game day, bumped into Wally uh, down that way. And I know you probably bumped into some people up in uh, Montgomery. I bumped into into Tali Carr, Mm -hmm. uh, bumped into Michael Jefferson, and uh, Michael Harvey. Okay. Okay. Nice. Those are three people that I bumped in. And, of course, uh, Jamie Walker was actually there on uh, on location with us on Sunday. Yeah. And, and of course, I so you bumped into Jamie Walker, who will be joining us later on the show. I, of course, uh, bumped into uh, Charles Bishop and Neely of the pregame show at Jackson State. And so we'll have uh, Charles on a little bit later at the top of the second hour. A little bit later in the first hour, we'll have Jamie Walker on, of course, uh, you know, his podcast, the AUC Gridiron Rewind. He will be breaking down, uh, especially the, the big weekend for Clark Atlanta, who got a win. Uh, congratulations to Clark on opening the season with a win. Uh, Morehouse, unfortunately, didn't fare so well in their opening weekend. But but a lot of teams, Drew, a lot of teams struggled in the opening weekend. And so that's sort of where we're going with our with our number one topic for this show is the well how how do you put this let's just focus in on non-conference because obviously you're going to get a lot of non-conference games I mean there were very few conference games of course the SWAC you had the Labor Day Classic between Prairie View and Texas Southern you had FAMU Jackson State those were conference games you had no conference games necessarily in the MEAC. You had a couple in the SIC, and I think you may have had one in the CIAA. Although, I, check me on the rules. I don't know if those counted, per se, you know? Um, but uh, No, neither one of those. Uh, those were non-conference conference games. Okay. So, needless to say, this was a, a strictly non-conference day, and it wasn't too good. It was not too good. Uh, speaking from a conference perspective, the let's start with the best. Let, let's give the praise for the conference that did the best and had the best non-conference schedule, and that was the SWAC. Uh, the SWAC had the best non-conference schedule or non-conference results. Uh, they were four and three uh, over the weekend. Now, I don't know if you want to discount the fact or just call it what it was. Two of those wins were against Division Two teams. You can if you want. I'll, I'll just say that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the other two were against uh, HBCUs in in FCS level. So that was that. Now the three losses, though, the three losses were against our uh, HWCUs or PWI schools. And uh, they didn't fare too well. Southern losing to Troy, Bethune-Cookman losing to UTEP. But they did cover. I told you, Bethune would cover. I gave you that one. That was a free play of the day. And then uh, on Thursday, Mississippi Valley State lost 35-0. Over in the MEAC, the MEAC was 1-4 non-conference, 0-3 versus the PWI or HWCU schools with the lone win coming against another D2 school. Although I would say this is one of the better D2s in uh, HBCU football. So 
in anything to take away. Oh, and then I, I guess our independent H, uh, our independent FCS schools. You had A and T losing to a PWI, uh, Furman twenty nine to eighteen, I believe. You had Howard or Hampton, excuse me, picking up a win over, of course, a Division two team, Virginia Union. And then you had, uh, of course, as mentioned, Tennessee State. They actually lost to Grambling. So, so Drew, it, what, before I move over to the Division II level, not a very good day record-wise. The wins came against Division II schools. What are your thoughts on what our FCS teams did non-conference-wise? Brian, you didn't emphasize the greatest point out of this. Oh, and seven. That was our record against historically white colleges and universities on that same same or higher level because some of those like Southern Troy was a check game, but it was a, a HWCU. Right. So with this F- FCS versus FCS, FCS, FBS, not only did we lose we did not look good in most of those games. Yeah, the, uh, there were three check games. Norfolk State losing Solito, 49-10. Troy, and of course, UTEP, as mentioned. Uh, and and what, what do you think, it, what's more disappointing? Like, I, I thought a and I was, of all those games, I was most disappointed and probably shocked at A&T. Uh, I really was one of those people that thought A&T would beat Furman. And they seem, Furman just uh, seemed to be a little bit much for A&T early on. That kind of surprised me. Yeah. The, the shocker to me was uh, Troy, Troy Southern. I thought Southern would really? go in and compete with Troy, but then we find out uh, today that there were some players who were held out of that game for uh, – Reasons that they have not released yet. Uh, right. So, and I believe three or four of those were starters that that were held out in, in that game. I think the number was eleven. Uh, don't quote me. I don't have the article in front of me. I glanced at it. I did not have a chance to read it in depth. You know, I was in my car. I saw the headline come across, and uh, and looked at it. But I believe, but there were some starters that were held out of that game. I know that contributed to the loss. I don't know if that contributed to the level of the loss. They had four interceptions. I I counted that when I went back and watched, you know, and of course I didn't get a chance to watch the entire game. So I, I'll, I'll confess, but what I did watch, I watched four interceptions. And I know when you, when you're, when you're, uh, you know, playing Santa Claus against uh, a team like any, anybody really, especially a team that, uh, that level up can't be a good thing. So not a good start. And a lot of people, Probably didn't expect Southern to cover. There was a 25-point spread. Would have been nice to see Southern cover it, but that is what it is. Now, over on the D2 level, though, the under D1, as we like to call it, it was a little worse. Well, we'll see. Was it worse? Let's ask that question here. Because from a conference perspective, starting with the SIC. They were two and four in non-conference games, but they were one and two against their PWI opponents over in the SIC. 
And that one win came from Albany State on the road with a shutout, matter of fact, at Mississippi College. But Morehouse and Savannah State got bludgeoned by West Alabama and Valdosta State, 48-7, to 53-7, respectively. Then over in the CIAA, they were 1-7 non-conference. That was, uh, that was the worst non-conference showing overall in general by the CIAA, 1-7. Uh, they were 1-4 against PWIs. The lone win coming from not necessarily uh, HBCU. Uh, again, we're just talking conference level-wise. The lone win came from Shawan in overtime at Mars Hill. Drew? Do we count... Uh, do we count Shawan? No, you you don't you don't count them. You're, I don't know, and I'm asking that in general. In general, yeah. The CIAA counts Juan, obviously. Right. What disappointed me more than anything was the regional matchups. Okay. The did did, did we talk SIAC yet? Uh, I mentioned that they were two and four non conference. Okay. One the and Savannah, two versus the, the Savannah State, Valdosta State, the Morehouse, West Alabama, the Lenore Rhine and Virginia, the Virginia State, right? The Shaw and I believe Shaw played Wingate at Wingate. Yep. Yes. So not only did we lose the game, we did not compete. In those games, those were regional games. Those are teams that CIAA or SIAC teams will be potentially matching up with in the playoffs. Those conferences are all in the same region. So for you to, to go out and lay, not, I, I hate to say lay an egg, but we laid an egg. They weren't so competitive we games. Lost, we lost, we lost by an average of 35 points in those four games. Right, right. So we we've you know we've got we've got to make sure that we are doing what we need to do to be able to compete with these uh these white programs who should be on equal level with us. Well, and, and that's the thing. I, I'm still searching for that tangible, something tangible to hold on to to tell me. Why we're losing? I, I, I just. I tell you why. They're, they're training. They're training. I mean, look, I, they're. I gotta believe our programs are training just like they are, aren't they? I mean, we're not. We're not training ha, in the ha, office. Ha, as they have are. you? Have you walked into some of the historically white Division Two facilities? But, okay, but do the facilities make that much of a difference? Yes. If you were telling you know, me you know, about, you know, you know, you know, about the nutrition tables and things of that nature, I'll buy that. I'll buy because that's important. But I, I mean, I've seen people do a lot with less. Uh, I don't think that, it's always the indicator. How, how long ago was that, bro, Brian? These I, athletes today are spoiled and want stuff. When my high school has, you know, a, a full training uh, facility and different things. I want to see that when I make that decision to go to college. 
those kids are making the decision when I've got an HBCU with average facilities and I've got a, and I'm talking about maybe like a D2 athlete. I'm a three-star. I'm a D2 athlete. I've got an HBCU offering me all this experience, all this culture and everything. But then I have to go, I have to go stay at dorms that were built in the 1940s. I go down to a stadium that hasn't been renovated since the 60s. And I go to this other institution over here that has dorms that were built in the 2000s, that has a stadium that was renovated in the in the 2000s, that has training facilities and everything else that are under 20 years old. Where am I going to sign at? You have more of those kids still signing with those institutions. This movement back to back to HBCUs is only a year or two old. So it's going to be a couple of years before that talent gap closes and, and these children decide that they want to go to HBCUs for what HBCUs were meant for. Those those experienced players are still at those other institutions. And, I, and that's going to be my final take on that before we head to break. I uh, just want to mention there were a couple of other uh, not very good performances on a non-conference level from my independence. Uh, you had Bluefield. Actually, and those games were close, though. So I want to say this. West Virginia State losing a non-conference game, but they lose by eight. Bluefield State returns to football for the first time since the mid-60s. They lose by a touchdown. Texas College, uh, unfortunately, lost uh, by a, a, by 70-something points to West Texas A&M, and VU Lynchburg lost. What was the total number, Drew, from just the HBCU's non-conference, and we'll close on that point? HBCU, HWCU, non-conference was 1-18. Wow. HBCU... HWCU conference one and two. Langston had a victory, where and Lincoln of Missouri had a loss in in conference matchup against uh historical white institutions. That long win for our HBCUs didn't even occur this weekend. It occurred uh, Thursday night when Albany State defeated Mississippi College twenty four nothing. Congratulations, Albany State, for carrying the flag. A lot of work to do from our other programs. One in 18, that's a number. And, and, you know, I hate to be that guy, but that is something I will be looking at all September as we talk. Go ahead, Drew, one final point. Don't forget, everybody, FCS teams, BAC, SWAC, and a and in this case, because uh, Tennessee State and Hampton play HBCUs. But BX, SWAC, A&T, 0-7. So 0-7 from the FCS, 1-18 overall up and down the board. A lot to work on. We got more when we come back. Jamie Walker from the uh, AUC Gridiron Rewind will be joining us We'll get a chance to talk with him about Clark's big win, talk a little bit about Morehouse, and then uh, his thoughts about the Red Tails Classic this past weekend. You're watching and listening to the BCSN Sports Wrap with Brian and AD. We'll be back right after these words.
This is the BCSN Pod Zone, your place for the news, views, and conversations about all things related to HBCU athletics. Here are the BCSN Sports Wrap, Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab, Knights of the Roundtable, The Pre-Game Show, The Carlos Brown Show, The ONG Strike Zone, and more in one place. We are changing the way you consume HBCU sports one broadcast at a time. It's never too early to plant the seed, to share the tradition, and instill a sense of pride in your HBCU with your little ones. HBCU Pride and Joy Children's Boutique helps you share your school spirit with a wide selection of adorable kids' apparel and accessories officially licensed from your favorite HBCU. Visit HBCUPrideJoy.com and follow us on all social media at HBCUPrideJoy on Facebook and Twitter. Support the Black College Sports Network so we can continue to provide you coverage. Go to myjbn.com slash support and be a part of the Black College Sports All right, welcome back to the BCSN Sports Wrap. Ryan Fulford and A.D. Drew here. Uh, I want to thank you for taking time to interact with us on social media, of course, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, at MyBCSN1. Even if you're watching us on YouTube, we appreciate it. Make sure to like, hit that like and subscribe button so that way you get the notifications whenever our shows are streaming. Uh, Drew, you got a couple of comments out there from a few folks. What are, we, what are the people saying, Drew? Uh, let's, let's see. Charles Boyle says, TU didn't show up. That stuff happens. Boy, did it happen this past weekend. Should it happen, though? Should it happen? Should you ever say that about your team? You should never no. say that about your team. I should never say that about the Tuskegee Golden Tigers. I will not accept that, Charles Moore. I would. I. I. I, can, and, I cannot. And what's bad is that's the that's the season opener. What does the rest of the season look like if you don't show up for the first game of the year? I. I, I really don't know. But all credit goes to Fort Valley for playing. A, a excellent ball game against us. ABAC says, let's go Tigers. Uh, Renee Brown says, TU, let's do this TU. And Marvin Harris, Marvin Harris countered with, let's go Wildcat. Willie Alex Hines also reminded us that, uh, wait a minute, I, I, I just lost the comment on, on, on the uh, thing, but that <laughs> Virginia State lost to Lenore Ryan and yeah, they, they hosted that game they hosted that game they lost that game as a host yes yes they did so uh D2 Virginia State lost to Lenore Ryan 47-7 at home that's that point I was talking about us versus uh yeah. those non-HBCCU games so yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and speaking of uh, uh, shout out to shout out shout out to Will uh, 
Will Sincere from down at Florida Memorial giving us giving us a shout out. And shout out to uh, Anthony McLean says, what's up, Brian? <laughs> hey, uh, thanks for watching, everybody. Uh, Anthony. Uh, Space Age 3000. HBCUs never recruit from Augusta, Georgia. Lots of talent there. But it, that, there you go. Especially Savannah State, you right up the road. My uh Boyhouse, Clark, you right up the road. But I was a recruiting if that was a recruiting battle game between Valdosta and Savannah State, that was a bad showing. Um I was as I was looking at the box score on that game, two fumble recoveries by Valdosta State, two fumble recovered touchdowns, a 50-yard field goal in the second quarter, completely flatlined probably any chances Savannah State might have had to be competitive in that ball game. That was disappointing. That was our most hyped non-HBCU versus HBCU game, and that one fell flat. Matter of fact, all of our – well, let me see. As I think back to our five, I don't think any of our fives lived up to the hype. The the closest game. Yeah, we had – I think we had two of them lived up to the hype because we had – did we have Alabama, Alabama A&M? South well, Alabama. I was talking about the – I was thinking more along the HBCU versus uh, PWIs. Oh, no, no, none of those did, no. Although I will say Bethune-UTEP was a 17-14 game at one point late in the third quarter, if I'm not mistaken. So that one, I actually – I had hope. I had hope that uh, that the dog would come home barking. They, the dog still covered, but I was hoping for the outright – by Bethune Uh, let me let me say this though I I will say and this is uh sort of our second point and shout out to HBCU game day for bringing this out North Carolina A&T Alcorn State FAMU Bowie State Miles College all five teams losing after being out for more than 600 days. And it just so happened that all five of those teams were ranked preseason. And in any poll you read, they were either ranked one, two, three, or maybe as low as four. I don't think any of them were any lower than four. Just say top five. And it, and it, well, okay. Top, but <laughs> yeah, no, no lower than top five in the preseason. And, and if you include Savannah State, you would include essentially your top four teams or top three, top four, with the exception of Alabama A&M, losing, all losing out the box. I mean, that's so – look, unless that's rare. Let me just say that. I, I think it's very rare, and especially given the fact that none of those teams played teams that you would expect them to lose. Like, you know what I'm saying? They didn't play a paycheck game. I mean, A&T played a Furman team that you expected them to win. I did. Alcorn State, of course, we they, we expected them to beat Central. FAMU, there was an expectation that that was a winnable game against Jackson State. Bowie, I was one of the people that thought they would go up to Delaware State uh, and win that. Miles, winnable game against Alabama State. I, I, I need to correct you on that, Brian. Okay. Miles. Gave that game. Well, Alabama State did everything but lose that game. Okay, talk about it. We'll we'll say that for a future segment, though. 
Well, but but the I, I, the fact that those five teams all losing, you know, it's one of the things why we Black College Sports Network why we don't do a preseason poll. I mean, it look there's enough polls out there for everybody to feast on, but we just kind of came up with this mindset because look, what are you going to do now? I mean, we're, I know we vote in other polls, but now I'm I'm left to scramble and evaluate a, a week one after 600 days off. I mean, how do you do that? You, Especially you really at the Division two level where you don't even know who half the roster is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there were guys who uh, some of these schools had just transferred in literally a week or two ago and were on the field. I know that was the case for FAMU. There were guys who had just transferred in a couple of weeks ago and all of a sudden were, were playing. Uh, and so I, I would imagine that was the case in a few uh, places. Uh, among those five, you mentioned Miles. I would say in terms of who was the most shocking or surprising defeat, I, I really – I've really got to say A&T, uh, and, and maybe that's because I've been kind of leaning on the fact that A&T's history of late, but then what we see is, you know, A&T with a new quarterback, you know, uh, having to go on the road, That there's a, there's a big challenge there, big challenge with that game, and, and, and uh, Bowie had enough turnovers I mean, they got they got themselves down in a hurry. I mean, shout out to Delaware State and Coach Rod Milstead and what they're building at Delaware State. I mean, Dell State have built a lead, I believe, twenty six to three at halftime after a pick six was returned by uh, Asias Guthrie for Delaware State. He returned at eighty seven yards for a touchdown. Dell State is up twenty six to three. Bowie made a good effort to try to get back in that ball game but when you have listen to this four interceptions two fumbles well let me back up this is delaware state delaware state had four interceptions two fumble recoveries three block kicks two of them were pats one of them was a pump block um did you have you noticed what the theme of Week zero and week one has been, Brian, and you just said it right there in that breakdown. Special teams, turnovers that you normally don't see. Interceptions happen. Fumbles should not happen. More, I've seen more fumbles in, in these two weeks of football than I have seen in a long time. And the only fumbles that go on the stat sheets or the turnovers. I've seen many of fumbles recovered by the offense that do not get put on the stat sheets. So those that that 600 days, it, it, I said if I said it from the beginning, it's going to be week three, week four before we start seeing real football and can really evaluate these things, especially the teams that had the layoff and those teams that played in the spring, will they have tired legs? Will they have tired bodies? You know, week three, week four, that's when all those little nicks and dings start showing up 
But those little nicks and deans that you normally go see the trainer for may turn out to be injuries that cost you a game or two because of the wear and tear from the spring. So let, let's look at this at end of September, 1st of October. Yeah, no, that, that's a very good point that you bring up. Uh, you know, I, I, I think from a defensive perspective, the Jackson State FAMU game, I, I think clearly defense, uh, well, the turnovers by Jackson State's offense kept Florida A&M in that game close because without the turnovers when they happened by Jackson State, Jackson State might have won that game by 10, 10 points. I, and I mean, that's how that's how bad it was offensively, or maybe that's how good Jackson State defense had played. And, you know, we'll, we'll kind of get into a, a little segment that we're going to do called Bull and Bear, teams that we're bullish about, teams that we're uh, bearish about. But I, I, I think that was, uh, that was telling. So, I mean, as much as I put that on North Carolina A&T's defense not really able to I'm just kind of looking here at the total yardage here by um nearly 500 yards 487 of total yards by Furman I mean that's A&T we we've expected the defense to be at a certain level for so long and we, we just didn't get that and I don't I, I don't know if it's the 600 days off and I don't Want to, I don't think that's a legit excuse to use because of the fact that you had spring practices. Um, yes, but I you know don't you hit have the in spring practice like you hit in a spring game. Yeah, but shouldn't that have shouldn't you be fresher though? Shouldn't you have more juice in the legs because you haven't been getting hit for those, I don't know, 60 plays, 60 or 70 plays times 11 games. So, I mean, those 700 plays where you haven't been getting hit and probably half of that because half of that's, um, um, well, no, you're 60 this offense. Yeah, so 700 plays that you didn't have where you were getting hit, you're, you should be a little fresher. So it, it, I would think theory, But, Brian, you see things, and you're going to see things these first couple of weeks like you've never seen before, such as a strip six. We know what a fumble six is. We all know what a pick six is. Have you seen a strip six? And what I'm talking about is in the Red Tails Classic, Tuskegee, Fort Valley State, where Anderson, excuse me, Zacchaeus Anderson, Zacharias Anderson, excuse me, Zacharias Anderson, stripped the Tuskegee running back and Ran the ball back six yards. Now, when I say stripped, as in took the ball out his hand as he was coming into the pile, into the hole. Ball never touched the ground. It almost looked like a handoff, except he was going the other direction for a touchdown. 60 yards for a touchdown. We almost had a similar play in the Jackson State family game where on a uh, handoff, it, deep in deep in uh, Jackson State territory, FAMU on offense, the ball is fumbled. The Jackson State defensive lineman comes up with the ball inside of the maybe 10, 5-yard line, somewhere in there. And as he's coming up with it, trying to get himself settled and, and possibly, you know, lumber towards the goal line, FAMU's running back, Bishop Bonnet, ends up taking the ball 
back from the defensive lineman who took it and ends up giving FAMU essentially a new set of downs because the ball was literally gone. It was a, it was, I think the official called it the defense recovered the fumble, the offense, well, the defense recovered the fumble, the offense recovered the defensive fumble, the offense retains <laughs> possession, a new first down. A he new, said set down. new set of downs. Something to that effect happened. But yeah, we, we had the same thing just on the opposite end as it related to the offense. So Got, we got JB Walker ready to join us here, Brian. So all right, let's go ahead and take a and break. You see, you see this, right? Four. What's four? I when Jamie comes in, I'm gonna to explain to you what this means. You know, and, and, and it is not for the fourth quarter as we traditionally see it in football. Okay, all right. I, I look that's a great show tease. We'll come back and figure out what four fingers means. Coming up right after this break, you're watching the BCSN Sports Wrap, Brian and AD. Coming up next, Jamie Walker from the AUC Gridiron Rewind. For 200 years, Montgomery, Alabama has been making history by people who had the courage to stand up for change. Today, this riverfront city has been reborn, embracing the past and looking forward to the future. From the National Memorial for Peace and Justice to the stage of the Alabama Shakespeare Festival, this is where history was and is made. We are proud to call Montgomery home, and together, we can be the change. This is Carlos Brown, letting you know that we're on the move. You can now catch the Carlos Brown Show beginning this July on the Black College Sports Network each and every Saturday from 11 to 1 Eastern Time, that's 10 to 12 Central Time. Same time, new place. On Facebook at the Coles Brown Show and Black College Sports Network. Online at www.mybcsn.net. And on the BCSN app, available on Google Play and the Apple App Store. Let's get back to strolling instead of scrolling. Before we can safely come together, we need the facts on COVID-19 vaccines. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision for yourself and for your fam. Your ad could be ran here. MyJBN.com backslash support. MyJBN.com backslash support for more information. All right, welcome back to the BCSM Sports Wrap. Brian and A.D. Drew, and there you see the man in the middle from uh, the host of AUC Gridiron Rewind and Coach Work Productions, Mr. Jamie Walker. Jamie, thanks for coming in and joining us, man. Uh, how you doing, my brother? I am pretty good. I can't complain. How about you all? We, we, we're recovering from the long weekend, from the long weekend uh uh yeah it's just good to be back in the home studios i guess is, is, is the best feeling i have right now for sure well uh the as i mentioned the siac two and four non-conference ciaa one and seven um from that level on the division two level uh you were 
you were at the uh, Red Tails Classic, correct? Uh, I was. Yeah, let, let's start there first before we get into talking a little bit about Clark and uh, Morehouse from that perspective. But what was your takeaway on Fort Valley State? 30 to nothing with a win over Tuskegee. What was your thoughts on that game and that outcome? Well, I know during the game time show, um, me and AD actually chopped it up about both teams, and both of us thought that Tuskegee would win. Um, I think AD said Tuskegee would win going away. And I think <laughs> I thought it would be a little bit closer, but I, <laughs> but I thought they'd win too. I had absolutely no idea that um, those kind of halftime adjustments that coaches are charged to make um, would just be so one-sided for one team. I mean, it was close going in, and either team could have um, pulled out a victory, but Tuskegee just looked lost offensively. And so I just did not know that Fort Valley was capable of really, you know, they played a couple of games in the spring, uh, and, you know, everybody's kind of talked about the opponents, you know, during the spring not being the, the caliber of opponent that you would see in the SIAC. But I didn't know they would be that prepared. And so, you know, they came out in the second half, made some adjustments, and really had their offense and defense clicking. You know, ball takeaways and just all kinds of stuff going on. So, Fort Valley looks the part. They definitely look the part so far. Uh, Drew, I'll give you an opportunity to uh, to defend Tuskegee and what you saw and didn't see. <laughs> I, I, I can't. <laughs> I, 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 I would love to defend Tuskegee. Well, I will defend Tuskegee. The Tuskegee defense did not play a bad game at all. So uh, – Look! Look at down the uh, look at down the stats. Fort Valley had 166 yards passing, and 100 and 118 yards rushing. That that's a respectable defensive effort under under 300. That's what your goal is as as a defensive unit. Keep your opponent under 300. They did keep them under 300, but the problem was points off of turnovers. There were, and, and there were turnovers on both ways, but Tuskegee obviously did not capitalize on the turnovers that were given to them, whereas Fort Valley did capitalize on the, on the turnovers. Tuskegee held Fort Valley to two field goals in the first half. Mm-hmm. And, one of, and they, Fort Valley was two for three on field goals. One of those field goals uh, was, uh, I believe it was a 50-yarder, Jamie. Mm-hmm. Or fifty yard of the one that was uh, just short. It was. Yeah, and and the other two were basically chip shots where the defense held in the red zone. So Tuskegee's defense played good. They did. Here's the problem: Fort Valley de- Fort Valley's defense played better. In the I believe it was Tuskegee's first drive. It was either the first or the second drive. Jamie, I I got so much in my head it's hard to remember. Tuskegee got down in the red zone inside the 10. They ran the ball four times. We thought Tuskegee was going to have the dominant offensive line considering the experience that they have back on their offensive line. Fort Valley's defense stayed stout. And if you 
Fort Valley's defense stopped Tuskegee so close to the goal line. If the center comes up to the ball and sneezes, it's a touchdown. That's how close that ball was to the goal line when Fort, Fort Valley stopped him. And you want to know what this number is for? <laughs> this is right here. Jamie could tell you. <laughs> this is for one, two, three, four. Total yards rushing for Tuskegee in the game. Four yards net rushing for the entire game. On but, wait a minute. This this is what makes this eye popping. On thirty six attempts. Well, but you also you know what plays against that rushing stats are the seven sacks you gave up. Sacks go against your passing stats in college. What's that? Sacks go against your passing yards in college. It's only counts uh, as a rush attempt if the quarterback actually tries to tries to run it, it, on a design run or or on a even on a scramble. If he gets tackled by if he attempts to pass first and then scrambles and gets tackled behind the line, those those two, three yards come off his passing stats. Well, but if you look at the yards lost by Bryson Williams, your quarterback, quarterback from Tuskegee, he was sacked four times, right? He was sacked he 12 attempts. Uh, uh those are rushes, Brian. Those, those were rushes. rushes that when those were design runs with those eight with those uh dead eight yards lost. Those were design runs. Yeah, that, well, the, that's not bad. Well, uh, or not, not reading the proper read on the read option. So between that and the seven sacks, you had a, yes. you had a bad day overall offensively for Tuskegee. Um, and now that, that makes me very nervous about Fort Valley State. I should not be, uh, but I am nervous for FAMU because let's just keep it real. That, that – Fort Valley State defense, if they come in with the right mindset, and given how bad the Florida AM offense looked, that's going to be an interesting matchup. Shouldn't be, but it will be something to talk about later in the week. Jamie, let's get over to Clark Atlanta, one of the two teams that you cover for uh, on, on the uh, CAU on the AUC, excuse me, uh, Gridiron Rewind, which normally you would have that podcast out on a Tuesday, but uh, this week, you'll hopefully be able to get that out uh, a little later in the week. So make sure to go uh, download that podcast. I know it's on Spotify and then pretty much everywhere else that you can download and just look up CA. Uh, I keep wanting to say CAU, but AU. I understand. <laughs> well, only because we're about to talk about Clark, and that's what got right. me right now. So here's Clark Atlanta coming off of a winless 2019, Coach Tim Bowen's first year was 2019 he has to sit wait some 600 days and what do you know Clark Atlanta comes up with a big win to open the season talk a little bit about Clark's 13 to 10 win over Livingston well wow that game was was really herky-jerky um it really was the theme with most of the games uh this weekend really the only offensive uh football that that resembled anything that was played previous was um the Alabama A&M and um and South Carolina State game which South Carolina State you know surprised me as well but within this game it started out slow 
Um, a couple of big plays by each team early. Uh, Livingstone went up early, seven seven to nothing, um, on on a huge passing play. But then it was one of your classic, I guess, for lack of a better term, one of those boxing matches where people wanted to feel themselves out. Both teams, offensively and defensively, wanted to feel themselves out. Low scoring. Um, there were a couple of you know long pass plays here and there. Um, Elijah Odom, quarterback for um, four o'clock Atlanta, ran the offense, um, you know, effectively. It wasn't, you know, huge. Um, they ran out of the um, out of the split spread formation where they had two backs in the backfield flanking um, the quarterback on each side, and uh, mostly with two receivers, um, you know, to one side. You can kind of tell their strengths, and they wanted to run the ball with um, with a bevy of backs, and so it started off you know, as if it was going to be kind of like the um, the Alcorn State game where, okay, you saw one team go in and you would think that their big playability would continue, but it just stopped. It, it was as if the defenses were adjusting on the fly and were able to stop the other's offense until the fourth quarter where uh, Clark was able to get a late touchdown and field goal um, in the midst of it. And, and that was around the third quarter. And it stayed tied 10-10 until a big penalty at the end by Livingstone. They had stopped Clark uh, deep in their own territory, and then, well, not, deep in Livingstone's territory. Uh, but an unsportsmanlike penalty gave them new life. Clark Atlanta kicked the field goal at the end, and that was the ball game. And so when you're looking at the ways that this game kind of went you know, back and forth, it was a thing of ugly football, but it was – much needed for Clark, who lost, you know, lost a lot of leads in the 2019 campaign. Um, they were in some ball games, but it was finally good to finally see them pull one out at the end and have the breaks go their way. Yeah, you, you make mention of that 2019 season where they lost games within a touchdown uh, to Allen, Central State. Now, those are two of the uh, what's a nice way of saying it? Two or the. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say least successful teams. Of yes. that year, but there you go, Drew. Uh, they were even within a touchdown or four points of Miles that year. A loss to Savannah State in overtime, so it wasn't like let's let's be honest. And, and of course, they lost to Morehouse at the end of the year by a point. So it wasn't it wasn't like Clark zero and ten was not competitive just couldn't close games out. So I see what you're saying in this year where now you're able to get a win because you are able to close out a game. That's got to be a big lift. Um, can, but can I ask I you a question, Jamie? Hold, hold mm-hmm. on a second, Drew. Hold on, hold on, Drew. Hold on, because I think you're bearing the lead here. And tell me if I'm reading the box score correctly. Now, they have this thing called Scorigami in the NFL. I don't know if you're familiar with that, right, Jamie? Yeah. Is it true? I'm looking at the box score. The box score says at the end of the first quarter, Clark three, Livingstone one. Please, <laughs> please explain the one point that Livingstone got at the end of the first quarter. I'm reading it, but I'm still like, what am I reading here as I I'm, look at the play-by-play? I'm not exactly sure what you're reading. <laughs> So, so, so there was no, there was no one. No, <laughs> no, I watched that game. No, it wasn't a one point score. But, but you know what? 
You know what's crazy? That was the case in a few games where where, where the scores and, and stuff was listed wrong. But no, no, it 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 was never a one point. Not that I saw. This, this is the only thing I can read. I, I'll say this as somebody who has been in those booths keeping stats. Crap happens, and sometimes <laughs> you just you just have to leave it and and say the heck with it. Because I'm looking at something else with the stat line, and that's what I was going to ask. Well, you hold on, hold on, Drew. You tell me then. How does this work? Third and eight at the Clark Atlanta twenty eight, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Hayes, Miles, compa- a pass complete to Fields, Trey for seventy two yard loss <laughs> to, the L- to the LCC zero zero. That uh, 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 that. The only way that that would be is 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 a fumble, and he recovered the fumble. That's the only way. Because I was gonna ask about Trey Fields. How do you have two receptions for negative one hundred and fifteen yards? <laughs> okay, see, that's the same. You, person. you were at the game. I, I was just curious. Or is this just a snafu in the stats? Uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely a snafu. Thank you. I thought I thought we had I thought we had this uncovered something fabulous, Jamie. But obviously. It seems like our eyes are lying to us because I, I'm, I'm like, how did we get three one? So I was, I thought we were on to something. And Drew points out the negative 115 yards. I thought we had uncovered something, man, that we would talk about for years. Um, but uh, congratulations! What, what, what's the ceiling look like for Clark, Jamie? I think they still have a long way to go uh, in relation to establishing. Uh, the type of players that Coach Bowens wants um, in the program. You got to think, he came in, went 0-10, had a year, complete year away from football, and now it's coming back in. So, you know, it could be advantageous. It could be a thing where he's getting his players in and kind of reestablishing a certain culture. You know, he's coming from Georgia State University, and so he's familiar with the area. Uh, if you look at his background, it, it's one that he knows the territory and what uh, players he needs to get, uh, in particular recruit um, the Atlanta metro area because those are the type of players that, you know, are, are plentiful enough to get if he's a capable recruiter, um, to give those guys an opportunity because it's plenty of talent within the, um, within the area. Uh, so I think right now it's so many uncertains, but it's just good to see the ball bounced their way. Uh, you, you know, you kind of ran down their schedule from, from 2019. You know, they were in so many close ball games that, you know, that record could have been at least at 500 or, or maybe even better. And so this year, it's a matter of where they can see some wins within the SIAC and whether or not, you know, they can keep themselves in ball games. Because from what I saw in that Livingstone game, it wasn't a matter of, the offense being high-powered. They want to run the football. They want to play good defense. They want to get after the quarterback. You know, those basic football nuances that, you know, a lot of coaches want to establish. And even within their spread set, they want to run the football. And the quarterback is unafraid to run uh, with the football as well. So I think they want to, um, you know, ball control out of the spread set. Uh, But, you know, they want to get pressure with their, you know, front four wasn't a whole lot of exotic blitzes or anything that they did. They just, you know, played uh, really base coverage. And so uh, I think, you know, with that game plan, along with what they do recruiting-wise, I think they'll get to a level of um, a level of, of just steering the ship right 
And it's a matter of whether or not Coach Bowens can get uh, this program on the right track. Um, let's transition over to Morehouse because Morehouse had to deal with West Alabama, and that was a tough, uh, tough, uh, tough open opening game for them. Uh, Forty-eight to seven loss. Uh, what, what, if anything, can you take away from losing that contest the way they did? You can't take much away at all. Uh, <laughs> just being honest with you, uh, they got mollywhopped. <laughs> for lack of a better term. And I mean from start to finish. If you look at those final stats, I think they said somewhere around 35 yards of total offense. Uh, you're looking at the two primary players on offense, Michael Sims uh, at the quarterback position, who's, you know, you know, picked to finish, you know, you know, up there in the player of the year stats, uh, player of the year um, candidates, uh, along with running back. Sims was 12 for 37 for 98 yards passing, zero touchdowns, and an INT. And on the ground, Sims was 5 for 13 with a negative six yards uh, rushing. Santo Dunn, who you just get ready to talk about, uh, 20, gained 22 yards on nine attempts. And that was that was really in fourth quarter garbage action. Um, if you look at him early, he was for the longest time <laughs> looking at you know the stat crew. He had negative two yards rushing, like they could not run the football at all. Where have we seen that at before? <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it it was it was not a good look at all. And so, when you're looking at the ways that Morehouse, you know, going forward are going to lean on these two along uh, with with a couple of other offensive players that have been there i'm curious to see where they go from here now you're looking at this opponent of course you know you're playing some games early that will test um what you're you're able to do and i don't know if this was a good one at all um you're coming back off a year where you haven't played so you can chop it up to it being that um that way you're getting just reaccustomed to playing ball again um but at the same time uh, you want a better showing than that. And I think they'll have a better showing against West Georgia, who they've competed with in the past. Um, it's not a matter of, you know, they're going right down the, down the road to Carrollton. So um, they recruit a lot of the same players. And so they'll be familiar with each other. And, and again, they've been competitive with them. They've even beaten them, uh, beaten the Wolves. So I think, you know, offensively and defensively, it'll be a better showing. I can't really give... Uh, a, a really effective synopsis of what the defense is like. Uh, and the reason being is because the offense put them in such bad spots, kind of mirroring what um, Tuskegee and Fort Valley did. Because when you you have a short field all the time, it's a matter of, okay, can a defense hold up in this manner? And you're always on the field. Look at the time of possession. Again, West Alabama, you know, dominated in that regard. You know, it kept, you know, going with, you know, Morehouse offense kept, uh, with three and outs. And so you're putting your defense in a really tough spot when it comes to um, whether or not they can hold a, a, an opposing offense on it. And give credit to West Alabama as well. Their passing game uh, was phenomenal, and they were a- able to to balance out what they did offensively and keep Morehouse both off the field and kept themselves in a scoring position all the time. So um, hopefully Morehouse plays better. I'm sure Coach Freeman will have them uh, playing better Against West, uh, against West Georgia. 
Yeah, that's a that's a tough schedule for Morehouse to start. Uh, obviously, watch Georgia, then they host Miles, and then travel to Savannah State. So you're you're trying to find wins and avoid going 0 for four in the month of September. So that that's the big challenge for Morehouse right now. So it'll be interesting to see. And then for Clark, Clark takes on Lane, uh, hosting that game against Lane. Uh, that's actually the first SIC contest so it was an opportunity for Clark to actually uh go two and0 and one and0 in the conference yeah uh all right uh Jamie, Jamie I'm not go I'm not gonna pick on you or ask you about uh your Aggies uh, I'm not gonna do that to you because I'm gonna no say- no we can shop it up about the Aggies we can shop we can shop it up about them well let's <laughs> hold, hold that thought Jamie let's let, let, let's take let's take a quick break of view. Let's we, let's let them hold over and let them chop up about those Aggies, Brian. Well, let's do that. Let, let, let's 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 let's. Uh, let, I know <laughs> we got a tight spot here, Drew. I know we got uh, I know we got Charles coming in a little bit. So uh, let let's do this. We will table the we will table the talk about A and T, uh, and and then we'll kind of come back to it. Uh, around the horn how about that so that way we don't we don't we don't throw anyone's schedule off too bad all right so we we, i'm just messing with you a little bit jimmy i'm not gonna mess with you too bad though hey we'll see you know that schedule is tough man so hey yeah i I might have to eat all kinds of crow (laughs) right there you prefer prefer hot sauce or seasoning (laughs) i'm a hot sauce man texas pete texas pete All right. Make sure you follow. Go, uh, go, go! Find the uh, AUC Gridiron Rewind uh, on Spotify, Google Play Store, Apple Podcasts, wherever you are listening and downloading your podcast, and uh, you can get connected in and find out what's going on in the AU Center uh, right there from Jamie Walker. And uh, Jamie, we appreciate your time, man. Thanks for coming in, giving us some insight on what's going on there in the AU. And, uh, man, be safe and take care, man. We'll be in touch. Definitely. Appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you both. Appreciate y'all having me on. All right. We'll be back right after these words uh, with Charles Bishop and the pregame show right after these words. Um, Can I get the now bar, please? One dollar. Have a good one. Got it. Hey, what's going on? Hey. Let me get a now bar. Sure. One dollar. Appreciate you. Got it. It's the show where we take you inside the game before the game begins. It's it's the pregame. With your host, Charles Bishop and Neely. So get ready, because we pregame harder than the other show's party. It's the pregame. Shop Melvin Online Women's Boutique to spice up your closet with trendy, unique looks. We have fashionable and chic looks at very affordable prices. Melvin Boutique offers free shipping all year long on all orders. Shop online at www.melvetboutique.com. That's www.melvetboutique.com. 
Like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. Shop Melbourne Online Women's Boutique. This is the BCSN Pod Zone, your place for the news, views, and conversations about all things related to HBCU athletics. Here are the BCSN Sports Wrap. Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab, Knights of the Roundtable, The Pregame Show, The Carlos Brown Show, The ONG Strike Zone, and more in one place. We are changing the way you consume HBCU sports one broadcast at a time. All right, welcome back to the BCSN Sports Wrap. Uh, Brian and AD here. Uh, appreciate Jamie Walker for joining us in that last segment. Uh, Drew, what, what did you have? I know you said you wanted to drop a couple of nuggets in before we... Yeah, uh, just, just, just a couple of comments uh, from a couple of people watching us on uh, Facebook, YouTube, BCSN app, and mybcsn.net. Frankly, the voice of the Golden Tigers, Tuskegee Golden Tigers football, play-by-play man says, good evening, guys. And we were talking about those dorms, Brian, where Renee James says, tell them to come to Langston. Our apartments were built in 2000 and stadiums, and we won against a conference team, 10-7, to when we were talking about those wins against uh, historically white institutions. Okay. All right. Yeah, look, I, I'm I uh I Langston is uh one of those teams that seems to constantly be in the mix and they they've established themselves uh as a as a very strong program and I have no doubts that come late November in the Sooner Athletic Conference that they will be right there challenging for another SAC title and uh, hopefully a playoff bid in the NAIA. So uh, that'll be that'll be coming up. And uh, so while we – I know coming up here in a moment, we've got uh, Charles Bishop from the pregame show uh, talking about Jackson State. And, uh, man, if anybody, uh, if anybody had a better weekend than Jackson <laughs> State, man, you tell me who they are because – Woo. Charles, it's good to see you. It's good to it's see good. you, man. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you, Brian. Good to be in, buddy. Uh yeah, it was a it was a heck of a weekend. If you were had anything on your uh uh clothing apparel that said D I love Jackson State, all of the above, prime time, whatever. <laughs> hey, I, I will give uh Tiger Nation a a, a big uh a big uh, kudos because they really it was good to see as many folks showed up, uh, first off, the overall attendance numbers were about 30,000. I think 30,100 is what was announced at the Orange Blossom Classic. Lower than my prediction of 50. But then again, I first made my predictions before Delta really, the Delta variant became this thing that really freaked a lot of people out. You know, it is what it is. So, but still, I think 30,000 was great. And then to see so many people from Jackson travel was also big. What are your thoughts on the attendance and the crowd? I think you hit the nail on the head. I think when you take a look at 
Uh, I think the excitement and the fervor uh, for 50,000 was in place, but the Delta variant, uh, especially during the month of August, I think really siphoned off uh, quite a bit of uh, Jackson State's fan base that was uh, planning to go. I know a lot of people uh, personally who uh, ended up canceling their their reservations and things of that nature, uh, just not wanting to deal with the ugly side of the pandemic. But uh, you're talking about 30,000 fans uh, during a pandemic uh, for this game. Um, that That's strong uh, to be very honest with you in this in this sort of environment. So uh, hopefully everybody took the precautions, proper precautions uh, with regards to being down in Miami. But uh, that, that that's a big number considering the circumstances. Let me let me ask you both of you guys this. So both of you guys were in Miami. Uh, I was in I was in Montgomery, Alabama. What was the atmosphere like? Uh, you know in the hotels, on the streets, in the restaurants, uh, the, the different places uh, where, where, you, where you guys were at for, for Jack, both uh, let you go first, Charles, with around Jackson State, and then you, Brian, tell us how the FAMU atmosphere was from a FAMU point of view. Yeah, the Alumni Hotel was, was, was buzzing, to be honest with you. Uh, you consciously would not have thought that there was a pandemic other than people wearing masks and things of that nature. Uh, and that's what, that was the same with regards to uh, some of the uh, other, you know, party type uh, you know, atmospheres down there. There were Jackson state was well represented down there in Miami. And, and then when you saw, you know, uh, the, the amount of people that showed up on Jackson state side and in the suites as well, I thought it was a tremendous show on for Tiger nation. What about you, yeah. Brian? I, I think the, the I think people were excited to be back out. I think people were excited to be there for football, you know, and, and that part shouldn't have been lost on anybody. And then um, the the fact that this was, this was a swag opponent. This was us going against Jackson state. This was us going against coach prime. I say us FAMU. And so our, our new venture into the swag and, and, you know, I, I had a, uh, I seen some great shirts by some of the vendors that trumpeted the fact that look, there's a there's a level of arrogance that Rattler Nation has, and we're coming into the swag with that arrogance, and you know, and we we fit, you know, we fit right in there with with Jackson State, and we fit right in there with Southern, and so that's the uh, all things considered, I, I don't know what's more disappointing, the fact that we lost the way we lost, or the fact that we lost to. Jackson State, who we lost to, you know what I'm saying? This is this is not as bad as losing to Bethune Cookman, but now we we're sitting on two losses in a row in over 700 days to to Jackson State and Bethune, and that bothers a lot of people. Trust me, trust and me, it does. And both of those losses were what three point games, if I remember correctly, going back to 2019. I know yeah, it was it, less than one score. Yeah, it was definitely less than a score, less less than a touchdown, uh, definitely on both ends. Um, Charles, let me ask this. Okay, so from your vantage point, uh, as you look back on this game, do we say this was a great, and, and honestly from both sides, or you can come from just the Jackson State side, a great defensive game, or would you say that the offenses were, uh, the, the offensive struggles, one more so than the other, uh, caused this game to be sloppy the way it was. 
or less productive offensively the way it was expected to be? I think you had two great defenses in this game. Uh, I think uh, uh, both teams had opportunities, but you have to take your hats off at some point to uh, the defenses of, of both teams. I mean, that the front seven for Florida A&M, they were flying around. Uh, the front seven for Jackson State, they were flying around. And both secondaries, you, you know, showed up. Marquise Bell uh, has, has a couple of nice plays in there. Uh, Jackson State missed some opportunities downfield. Uh, that that were there, uh, and it was and it was just really when you have two really good defenses, it's really hard to get into an ebb and flow. And then one of the statistics that I saw uh, with regards to this game, both teams had ten penalties, so it, it, it really took away from getting into some sort of uh, offensive groove when, you know, you take two steps forward and then take one step backwards. So things of that nature. And, you know, that sometimes that that's just football. That's just the way it is, especially when you have uh, defenses that can really clamp, clamp down. Hey, let me, let me throw these in. I'm looking at some of the comments off of uh, our YouTube uh Mary 305, I was there at the Orange Blossom Classic game. Fam, you need to work on the quarterback situation. We're going to let you comment on that in just a moment, uh, Brian. Uh, Thomas James says COVID played a huge part in the attendance crime, in the attendance portion. That's what uh, Charles just said. Being low attendance, nevertheless, it was an electric game and atmosphere. I think I think that's pretty much what you were saying there, Charles. But he also says from a JSU alumnus and coach, Fab U is going to be a force in the swag, hands down. Maybe we got a chance, fellas. Maybe we got a chance, Brian. I look. Let me. Oh, so this is what this is what I'm curious. At I know at, at which points I was nervous, Charles. At what. Why and at what points were you nervous? And I and you can be honest and say I wasn't really nervous. I I would completely respect you if you say that. But at what points were you nervous, and why might you have been nervous at that point? That's that's a, a very interesting uh, way to look at it. Um, I don't think I was nervous up until that last drive, and it's simply uh, from the standpoint over the past few years, over the past four or five years of Jackson State futility, we've just seen them lose games like that. You know, um, that's just been the reality of Jackson State football over the past four or five years where that big play never showed up, where you didn't make that stop that you needed to make. I think there was uh, that little uh, uh, draw play uh, to, uh, uh, I think, Bishop Bonnet, uh, that gained, you know, uh, 15 or so yards and got them back in the field goal position. I think that was a point where I was like, oh, boy. Here we go. You know, that sort of thing. Uh, and then, the, you know, it was uh, the, over the next two or three plays, you know, it, it was snuffed out. But I just there was a point yesterday where I felt the defense was in control of things. And of course, uh, Neely and I were on the sideline talking to guys. And they never, you know, never wavered. You know, uh, uh, defensive line coach Jeff Weeks said, we, we, you know, we got, them. you know, just, just stay the course, do your job. Uh, uh, linebackers coach uh, also uh, Andre Hart was was in the same uh, mindset. Uh, definitely, uh, Dennis Sturman, defense coordinator, you know, was never nervous at any point. You know, he was dialing up blitzes left and right. Uh, amazing, amazing, job. amazing uh, job. well well called game by Dennis Sturman. Yes. Uh, sp- speaking of that, and, and and I'm glad you pointed that coach out, Dennis Thurman, because I, I thought. They and and you tell me now that now that the game is over, 
was there something that the Jackson State coaches saw in, you know, obviously they knew that if McKay was the starter, that maybe he was a step slower. Maybe there were some tendencies they saw in the one game that he played because there wasn't much film on anybody. And so I just felt like the blitz packages that were called were next level. Uh, or maybe it was the talent as well, but there were seven, eight guys coming in. It was like, wait a minute, how come nobody is figuring out the pass protections? And I couldn't tell if that was the quarterback or whether it was the blitz packages being drawn up. But was there a tendency or something that the Jackson State coaches saw that, or maybe they just said, hey, we're going to do what we do. And if, if FAMU comes up with a game plan, then we'll adjust. What were your, uh, what were your- great point. I, I think, um, I think the overall mindset is we're going to do what we what we do, and what we do is whatever whatever it takes. We're going to get pressure on the quarterback. I know it sounds a little bit cliche, but the first things was the first things stop the run. And once uh, I think Jackson State uh, established uh, that uh, FAMU was not going to uh, get that running game up and going, it, it made them a little bit more one dimensional. And then you you're able to play that sort of cat and mouse that that chess match. Uh, with the quarterback, where and where and with the offensive line, where you have them guessing where that uh, uh, rusher is going to come from. So I think during the course of the game, you saw a lot of times where they would show bliss, they drop out of it and drop into their hook zones and things of that nature. Things of that nature, which you know made the passing lanes a little bit more difficult for McKay. But then there were times where you know they, they were coming. And they were bringing the house at times where you know uh, it, it was just on the uh, defensive backs. You're, you're man up. Uh, let your talent take over, and let's see what happens. Now, now Charles, got got to ask you this. You know, there there was there was all this talk about about a Sanders, but I'm not talking about about the, the quarterback. I'm talking about the Sanders that actually may have had a little bit more of an impact in the game, and that's on the other side of the ball, wearing his dad's old number. That being Shiloh, and when. I only saw the first half of the game, still have not had the opportunity to watch the second half of the game. But Shiloh made some plays, and no offense to his father, Prime, who was a great <laughs> defensive back. Shiloh laid some wood a couple of times that his dad never would have laid. Give us your uh give us your talk about the other Sanders. One thing you will quickly learn about Shiloh Sanders. He loves to lay the wood. Uh, he calls himself the CEO of the headache gang. The whole defense is the headache gang, and he is the CEO. He uh, sets the uh, attitude, uh, if you will, for the defense, uh, for the defensive side of the ball. I mean, he loves coming up, laying the lumber. Uh, that's what he does. He wants to set a tone. And that is, you know, it's, it's funny to watch both uh, Shador and Shiloh up close. Uh, they're polar opposite ends of the spectrum you know uh Shador is measured he's uh they his nickname is grown because he's just uh, a, a mature sort of 19 year old you said uh, grown grown g-r-o-w-n exactly okay. yeah, his nickname <laughs> is grown uh, uh, but he just carries himself like a 30 year old and he's only 19 you know never too up never too down uh it's exactly what you want out of your quarterback uh Shiloh uh, this part he gets from dad. Hey, hey he, he chirps. It, that's, it is constant with Shiloh. Uh, one of the things that you're going to start seeing, uh, especially with regards to footage that we had from uh, during the game on the sideline is uh, Shiloh keeps that defense up. Uh, he, he is the talker. 
Uh, he uh, loves coming up, laying the wood. And I mean, that is what Shiloh Sanders does. Yeah, that uh, that that hit. I mean, I hadn't seen hits by Sanders like that. <laughs> and I, I, I don't know if ever, because he came down the field. He hit people like he was a free safety, you know, it, it was it was impressive. It was really impressive, and I thought, you know, the only time I the- saw a Sanders involved in plays like that was when there was another Sanders named Barry who would put a move on people so fast that the two de- the two defenders hit each other trying to hit him. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you, they. Uh, I mean, so between between Gaddy and Miller, you know, it's funny. Between I know Miller, Aubrey Miller got a lot of the praise uh, for the nine tackles and, and the recognition, but I. I mean, I, I'll be honest. I thought between Gaddy and Shiloh, those were the two who I found to be the most impactful defensive players. Um, and then the one thing offensively, Charles, the the willingness to attack deep. That's the thing that I thought that separated this ball game. Jackson State and Shiloh, and 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 I, I tried to ask Coach Prime this in the pro, in the post game presser, but. I mean, he wasn't giving too much praise for the offensive line. I think he wasn't, you know, he said they did all right. But um, I thought he had time. And the time that he had bought him enough time to throw deep. Mm-hmm. And those three or four passes that he threw deep, even uh, and especially the one that may have set up the touchdown, the one that he threw deep and got the uh, the, the penalty when uh, Fami was called for the, uh, the, the, the targeting or the uh, unsportsmanlike, and he literally, he stood in there, he connected on about a 40-yard pass play to the left sideline from midfield. And I was just looking like, oh, my gosh. I mean, mm-hmm. the arm talent that he – and that was the difference. I thought the yeah. difference came down to one quarterback versus the other quarterback and who had time to throw the ball down the field for more than five yards. Uh, talk about Shador, just the passing game in general, because I think – that's going to separate Jackson State this year is the passing game. Uh, what's your thoughts on your, your your thoughts on the passing game from Jackson State? Well, I, I know it's difficult to have uh, to to have seen it yesterday because they only scored seven points. Uh, but Jackson State is going to attack teams vertically, and they have a bevy of receivers that can get downfield, uh, either from the X, the Y, the Z, or the H. Uh, uh, when you're talking about the, the speed and talent of a Josh Lanier, uh, number one, uh, the transfer from uh, Alabama, whether you're talking about Keith Corbin, or uh, you saw yesterday uh, the young man from Florida, Trevante Rucker, they all can get downfield and they can cause havoc. And then they, and we really didn't see uh, much from Shane Hooks yesterday, but Shane Hooks is another one who can get downfield and uh, you give him those 50-50 balls and they quickly become 70-30 balls. He he has that sort of a vertical ability. And then another uh, receiver that you, you should at least keep an eye out for is Malachi Wildman, who is the transfer from Tennessee. Uh, Hooks and Wildman, both 6'4", 6'5", both can get downfield and both can go up and high point balls. So uh, the, the willingness and the ability to attack uh, uh, defenses vertically, I think is something that could separate Jackson State from the rest of the pack. This is going to be my last question uh, that I have for you, Charles. And this is a little bit away from the football game, but it's still on the football field. There was an article put out, I believe that was today. My days are running together, so forgive me when I, when I say this. Uh, when Coach Prime talked about 
put their names on the back of the jersey. Uh, he, he, he was like, even if I got to pay for a swag, please put the names on the back of the jersey. Mama want to see their name, they, they child name on the back of the jersey. Just your thoughts uh, about that and, you know, j- just how he's kind of taken not only Jackson State and the issues of surrounding Jackson State, but the issues surrounding the swag and HBCU football and trying to elevate this game that we love. Um, and I know it rubs some fans of HBCU ball uh, the wrong way, but uh, the reality of it is uh, Coach Prime is a progressive thinker, and he is always thinking of innovation and ways to uh, push our, our, our game forward, especially our, our, our HBCU uh, team forward, whether it's uh, putting names on the back of jerseys. He, he, he wants that, that visibility uh, element uh, present within HBCU football and doesn't see any reason why it shouldn't be that way because uh, he will tell you in a heartbeat, the talent is there across the board for guys to get drafted. He just wants another uh, vehicle for uh, all of these teams to get noticed. Well, uh, I, I, yeah, he said that comment during the uh, postgame presser um, when when he when he made that statement. So, um, not look not not surprising, you know. I think I think every press conference there is going to be something that he says non related to the game that is going to catch people and be a buzz. And and we know this. I mean, with regards to HBCU football, um, change sometimes is difficult. Uh, it, yeah. But it's part of what makes us uh, great and sometimes some things that, that hinder us. Uh, we do appreciate and rely on tradition, uh, but in some ways uh, that could be a, a gift and a curse. So he's always trying to push the envelope with regards to uh, breaking from whatever has been the norm. And sometimes that's, that's just going to be a, a, a raw flashpoint. And, and, and I will say memo to everyone out there. It doesn't require a comment or a press release. Every time Coach Sanders says something. You don't have to respond to it. Coach Sanders went down and got his oil changed and so and so and so and so. We'll have an article on somebody's uh, website or newspaper or tweet. Or yeah. Hey, Coach Sanders came in here and got his oil changed. Hey, you know, he actually had the nerve to buy some new tires when other tires were starting to wear out. But he bought them before they were bald. You buy tires when you they bald, not Coach Sanders. <laughs> Oh my God! Please, conferences, stop sending out memos every time Coach Sanders mentions your conference. Anyway, Tennessee State's coming up next. Uh, Charles, what's the look ahead? Um, your thoughts on that, uh, uh, Tennessee State, and just just that Southern Heritage Classic. I mean, which is a staple for Jackson State every year. What can you share about that as folks start to look ahead towards this upcoming Saturday's contest? Coach Prime versus Eddie George, Hall of Famers. There'll be a lot of talk going on all week about that. Well, I think geographically, uh, I think the the fans who didn't make it to Miami, they they will figure out a way to get to Memphis. So uh, that game is always close to, you know, 45,000, 50,000. And it has become a staple within uh, the HBCU football culture with this uh, Jackson State and Tennessee State team meeting uh, at the midway point, Memphis, Tennessee, if you will. But uh, always a tremendous time uh, had by all in Memphis. 
And uh, it's uh, a normal grudge match that, that Tennessee State, up until 2019, really had the, the upper hand. Uh, and I think they had the better talent overall for uh, quite some time. But I think uh, the winds of change have sort of happened. Uh, I think you see now with Tennessee State, this is their third swag loss in the past uh, past two years. So I think they lost to Jack State and UAPB in 2019, and then the loss to uh, uh, yesterday to, to Gramlin. So uh, I think the SWAT talent, I think, has definitely gotten better. And in some ways, you know, uh, maybe it has caught up to Tennessee State. But, you know, for Jackson State next week, I think, again, the game plan defensively, stop the run, make your team one-dimensional, and then you can uh, pin your ears back and tee off. I think that 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 classic is going to do draw probably better than the Orange Blossom Classic uh, did this week, especially when you consider those two fan bases. That's a drivable classic. Yeah, it's a drivable which classic. means I I get in my car, I ride out, I can go to the game, I could stay in the hotel, or if I really wanted to, I could drive back home. And considering this pandemic climate, and this is talked about for both universities. Because the, the distance is, is, if it's under four hours, it's a car ride. And mm-hmm. people are willing to drive, do, to do that, go to a game, and, and ride back on the same day, given, given this pandemic and not have to worry about the hotels and the airplanes and stuff like that. But even if I do stay in a hotel, you know, I may not be coming up two nights. I'll stay in the hotel tonight after the game and still drive home. So uh, I think uh, it's going to be a better atmosphere, even a better atmosphere than Orange Blossom. And I think the big thing about the Southern Heritage Classic, it is part of Memphis uh, football culture. So you're going to have that buy-in from the local uh, Memphis uh, economy, the local uh, Memphis fan base, whereas the Orange Blossom Classic, it is a renewal uh, of a classic that has just – uh, is coming back online, if you will. So it still needs time to develop that 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 growth within the Miami community. All right. Well, again, make sure uh, check out all the work that Charles and Neely are doing with the pregame show. Uh, thankfully, we didn't make any bets, so I don't have to walk <laughs> around. I don't have to wear any JSU gear or anything like that. I will just humble, you know, just humbly say congratulations on the win. Uh, it was an enjoyable game. Glad I got a chance to see you guys down there. Make sure to follow Instagram, Twitter, Facebook at The Pregame Show. Also find them on the BCSN Pod Zone. And then uh, tomorrow night, I think Charles will be uh, back in the lab with uh, with uh, Dr. Cavill and Mike Washington. So that'll be 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central. And uh, so we always appreciate Charles for joining us when he can. All right, go get some rest because I know you got to be tired, Charles. Oh, man, I'm, 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 <laughs> I have a little coffee right here now. So... <laughs> All right. Appreciate you again, uh, Charles Bishop, the pregame show and Dr. Cavill's inside the HBCU sports lab. When we come back right after the break, we'll break down a little bit more from week one, tell you who we're kind of bluish and bare about after uh, week one. So you're watching the BCSN sports wrap with Brian and AD. We'll be back right after these words. Both of my great-grandfathers have been a part of that study. My roots in environmental health come from my great-grandfathers. They were sharecroppers, and then later they were able to own land for their family for generations to come. My ancestors' connection to the land has given me a strong care for our environment and how that environment influences human health. I am a 
fierce advocate for equitable treatment for all. The ways in which COVID-19 ravaged Black communities showed that we have underlying vulnerabilities when something like a pandemic hits. The path from tragedy to triumph travels along the path of learning. of watching flicks before we can safely get out there we need the facts on COVID-19 vaccines visit getvaccineanswers.org so you can make an informed decision for yourself and for your crew are you hungry for authentic Caribbean food like jerk chicken oxtail red snapper shrimp tofu and rasta pasta well find your way over to Mango's Caribbean restaurant 180 Auburn Avenue right next to Royal Peacock in downtown Atlanta Mango's Caribbean Restaurant. Open daily from 11 a.m. to 10 p.m. And on Friday and Saturday, we're open till 4 a.m. Come to Mango's and put some spice in your life. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant, 180 Auburn Avenue, right next to Royal Peacock. In downtown Atlanta. For more info or directions, call 404-698-3992. Or log on to mangoscaribbeanrestaurant.com. For instant coupons, text M-A-N-G-O-S to 313131. Mango's Caribbean Restaurant. Authentic Caribbean cuisine. All right, thanks for watching the BCSN Sports Wrap. Brian Fulford and A.D. Drew here. And uh, I want to again thanks Charles Bishop and uh, Jamie Walker, who joined us in the last two segments that we had. And uh, we you know, always enjoy talking with those guys. Great coverage, not only by Charles and Neely with the pregame show and, of course, of Dr. Cavill's inside the HBCU Sports Lab. But then Jamie Walker, make sure to go uh, go check out the podcast, the uh, AUC Gridiron Rewind. That's what you can find wherever you listen to podcasts. You know, uh, you know. so uh, there you go. Drew, what do we got? We got some comments. What do you got yeah. for us? Yeah, when, when, you, uh, when you get a chance, you have to go to the YouTube. Thalmas and... Leon are going back and forth about the uh, Orange Blossom Classic, breaking down the plays, talking about the uh, JSU defensive scheme and FAMU showing run every time they came up in a formation. It's a very interesting conversation that they have going on here. So let me say, uh, let me add, let me add in. We will we will have a full FAMU breakdown Wednesday night. Live 8 p.m. Eastern on the ONG Strike Zone. Myself, uh, Kofi Hemingway, Kelvin Rozier. We're going to break down the uh, Orange Blossom Classic, uh, that podcast, that show, strictly talking about FAMU athletics. But uh, somebody on that show 
predicted and tried to tell everybody to be on the lookout for that true freshman quarterback at FAMU. And, and he was, he was shouted down. He was told, no, that's not going to happen. Yeah. I don't know. Who uh, that, I don't know but, that guy. but speaking, going back to the names on the back of the Jersey, Leon says names on the back of the Jersey, you play harder. So you won't get roasted when you go home. LOL. <laughs> And... I'm, I'm 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 old school. Look, I I grew up in Indiana where you didn't look. There were two things you didn't do. You didn't get the number one, and you didn't have names on the back. Nobody, the number one, nobody is bigger than the team. Yeah. And I, so I'm just kind of old school that way. So I I get it. You know, you don't you don't wear number one, and you don't put the names on the back. Now, I I get putting names on the back at the end of the season. But, uh, you know, it's college. But now that everybody's getting paid, I guess, you, for NIL, you might as well put the names on the back now. Yeah, it, 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 it really is. You know, go ahead and put, put, the, names, put the names on the back of the uh, jersey. Because, like, uh, once again, going back to uh, YouTube, Neon said it's, it's accountability. Now, you, now you're accountable for that name on the back of the jersey and that name on the front of the jersey. Yep. Uh, any other, any other comments? No, uh, don't, don't, those are the main two highlights. Like I said, uh, there, there's a lot of breaking down of, of the game and a lot of it is, uh, co-signing on a lot of the, the topics that we are uh, talked about already here on, uh, the show. All right. Well, look, we, we, we can't look now the FAMU JSU game was one of the two games that we thought would be the most hyped game going into but we were really we were really feeling like there was a 1a and a 1b and the 1b game really turned out to be probably the 1a game i don't know there's such a contrast in styles and outcomes between alabama a&m south carolina state game and the jackson state famu game very one game one both of them were here's the thing drew both of them were one point ball games think about that for a second one point ball games that so, came I mean, down to the last drive and came down to the yes, he came down to the last drive in both games. Yeah. Defense won defense out. Defense is hell. Defense is held. Exactly. Exactly. But the low scoring FAMU JSU game versus the high scoring AM South Carolina State game, uh, final score AM with a 42 to 41 victory. Uh, highlighted, of course, by Aquil Glass throwing 28 of 49 for 426 yards, four touchdowns, no INTs, sacked just once. Uh, Gary Quarles ran for 22 carries, uh, 129 yards and a touchdown. Uh, but But it should not be slept on the fact that South Carolina State really got some great production from Corey Fields. Corey Fields Jr., I mean, yes, he had the one interception. One of his two was at the end of the ball game. But I thought he did. I thought he did a great job answering the bell. But what was really impressive is South Carolina State ran for 242 yards total, and they had three three guys rush for over 73 yards. Alex James, 13 carries for 73. Kendrell Flowers, 14 carries for 80 and three touchdowns. And then Corey Fields himself, nine carries for 89 yards and a touchdown. 
and, and, and uh, Drew, I think South Carolina State looked like the South Carolina State that we have grown accustomed to in the MEAC, being that kind of thing. I mean, they ran 242, Drew, 242. And, and, and all the talk coming into this game was, has Alabama A&M's defense improved? I don't know if we're going to hang a hat on it and say yes or no, but you just gave up 41 points to South Carolina State. The question is, can Alabama A&M continue to just outscore everybody in the swag? Based on one game that everybody has played, no other team offensively has shown in the swag has shown that they may be able to keep up with Alabama A&M on the offensive side. And when you have Aquil Glass as your quarterback, you know, it's just like having Tom Brady back there. You better keep up, or Peyton Manning. You better keep up because he's going to put some points up on you. So you're going to have to have a good offensive uh, showing. I've got to discount UAPB because that was a Division II opponent. No one else in the SWAC had an offensive explosion this past week. Yeah, that, I mean, th- this game, there were seven lead changes in this ball game. And, and, mean, and, and I'll test to that because sitting in the booth out at the Alabama State Miles game, every time I looked down at my dog on iPad, somebody else had to lead because we had that game on the iPad while we're watching the game live uh, in the stadium. Right. I mean, outside of the the tie, uh, South Carolina State scored first. Alabama A&M came out and tied it, then jumped on a lead. And then once South Carolina State kicked the field goal uh, with 14-10 in the second quarter, everything else was flipped. You had flip, flip, flip. Um, nobody scored more than three consecutive possessions. Uh, Alabama A&M scored twice. South Carolina State twice. Uh you know, uh, th- there was a period where, uh, as I'm looking at the stats here, trying to think back, there was a period where South Carolina State had scored four of five scores. I mean, they had a lead by 10 early in the third quarter, but a- 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 there was an answer for an answer. This was this was a fitting game. Um, it-, it streamed on YouTube for Alabama A&M. And, and and I think I that made, was a, I think that was the saddest part of that game. Not the fact missed, that it streamed on oh, YouTube. That, it was the fact that it was hard to find that game on well, yeah. YouTube. That was yeah, the sad that, part about it. There's nothing wrong with the game streaming on YouTube, but it yeah. should have been a, a lot, especially for the, arguably the game of the week. Should have been easier for fans to find. That they'll, they'll, yeah, that I agree with you one hundred percent. That was a that was a that was a that was a fail by somebody. The fact that that game didn't end up on look, I'm I'm all for promoting your own games and platforms. So let me say that I I don't think you have to go to ESPN. You know, look, we're all on the same internet. But I will say, if you had the opportunity to to put this one on ESPN three, it should have been there, right? Because here's what I saw, and I'm and I'm I'm I'm, I'm going behind the curtain here. Great job by Alabama A&M to get this on their YouTube channel. But at the same time, you missed out on opportunities to promote your campus. 
you you missed out on the advertising opportunities. This was the game of the week. I didn't. I don't think I saw any ads running. I don't. I don't know if I saw any sponsorship reads. I think they were running it in conjunction with the radio broadcast. So yes, I, it, 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 it was simulcast on the radio because sometimes you would see the, you would have the latency between what you saw and what you heard. Which means then I don't think you were when they went to a commercial. I don't think they were running the commercial ads on the YouTube stream. So again, opportunities are missed. I don't know if you, if you're trying to get YouTube clicks and dollars. Okay, that's great, but there was sales opportunities there. That that was the biggest game so far of the season. It was the biggest game of the week. Next to just just compare and contrast what the stage and platform was for FAMU and Jackson State. Even the uh, the game with Tennessee State and Grambling, the game with Fort Valley State and Tuskegee. Think about the platform and the stage. This game should have been on a stage of equal platform, or at least somebody should have been selling advertising. So I'm gonna I'm just gonna say that. But but uh, hey, anyway. hey hey I got one. Hey Fox, we need y'all to get into into the uh, HBCU business. You know NBC, NBC Sports has been in it. ESPN is in it. NFL Network is in it. Fox Sports, we need you. I, I, don't, I and I, I don't say need in a in a begging it? way. I don't but, need Fox Sports. I don't need Fox Sports. How many shows and games do we do, Drew? We we run commercials and ads. We sell packages. Yes. I don't need Fox Sports. Come give us a call, Black College Sports Network. We would have sold the hell out of this package for you, Alabama A&M. All right. Anyway, let's move on before we get in trouble. Before I say something. Um, but hey, I have said South Carolina State, toughest, best non-conference schedule. Think about who they play. Alabama AM. They play FAMU. They play North Carolina AT. They play Bethune Cookman. Um, that is a heck of a non-conference schedule. And then of course, South Carolina State still has to play their um their their regular yeah. season. Um the this upcoming game. week. Yeah, they're they're MEAC games. Uh, South Carolina State travels to Clemson this week, who might be feeling some kind of way after <laughs> after getting <laughs> mollywhopped by Georgia. So uh, you know they they'll be feeling some kind of way. So watch out, South Carolina State. Um, you know maybe you can come in as Bulldogs. Hey, look, you, more Bulldogs for Clemson. Alabama A and M has a bye, and then they have to get ready for Bethune Cookman. So that'll be good for AM. A, a much timed bye week for them. Uh, one thing I will say about the Quill Glass, Drew, before we move off and go to our bullish and bear things. I love the fact that four interceptions, no touchdowns. I I I'll nitpick about the completion percentage though. 28 of 49, just over 50%. And I asked this question. Remember, I asked, what is the question I asked you? Touchdown to interception ratio versus completion percentage. What was more important? 4-0 versus about 55%. Looks like 4-0. Well, (laughs) yeah, I'm just saying. It depends (laughs) on what you value because that'll be interesting to see as we go. And Um, and, and the one thing about those uh, that completion percentage, when you go back and look at the film, which I have not had the opportunity to look at yet, how were what type of throws was he missing? Were yes. those just balls yes. that the receivers were just going through the receiver hands? They were on target, or were they 
considerably short and considerably long. You know, yeah. those are the type of things that the NFL scouts will be looking at. How are you with those misses? Right, right. I'll be let's go take a look at those 21 misses and let's see what those look like. All right, Drew, let's uh let's as we get ready to close out this show again. Thanks for everyone out there who's watching. Uh make sure to subscribe wherever you're watching us. Uh so that way whenever the next show comes on, you'll be there. Uh if you're if you're a podcast only person, make sure you go download and find the BCSN Pod Zone. That's BCSN Pod Zone. All of the shows that are part of the Black College Sports Network are featured on the BCSN Pod Zone. So you can go from one show to the next without having to search around and try to find all of the great content that we bring you. And then of course, go uh, download that Jericho Broadcast Networks app on Google and Apple Play Store, my JBN or my BCSN. Okay. Who are we bullish and bear about after week one? This is kind of how we're going to close this show. And we're going to start to do this maybe every show. We're going to kind of lean on our on our years as a part of the uh, – In the Bull and Bear Lounge on the campus of Florida A&M University in the School of Business Industry. And when I say lounge, it, it was not that kind of lounge, everybody. One of the greatest uh, – no, excuse me, still is the greatest business school among HBCUs, among business schools overall in the country – might I add, shout out to the uh, the late Dee Motley for all that she did uh, to build the great SBI. So the Bull and Bear teams from week one, Drew. All right, so again, those of you who don't know, Bull, the Bull teams are the teams that we are uh, feeling good what? about. Feeling good about. Not, not Bull, you know what. <laughs> no Bulls, no bull shiggity, but uh, yeah, these are teams that we are – are looking to invest in. We are, they are moving in the right direction. The bear bear are the teams that, uh, yeah, not, not, we're not feeling Take so them down good to the about swap meet. Exactly. All right, Drew, let's, let's go with your first uh, team that you're bullish about. Well, got, got to start off with the obvious one, Brian, the uh, team that beat our alma mater, Jackson state university. You know, they came in a lot of questions about how quickly this team would jail. They've shown through one game that, Defensively, they have jail. Offense st- still looks like there's going to be a work in progress a little bit on the offense side, but that defense is good enough to keep them in the game right now while the offense progresses. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm definitely bullish on Jackson State as well. I, I voted them number two in the most recent poll uh, that I'm a part of. I, that's how high I previously had them at number eight. I moved them six spots. I, I saw what I needed to see in one week to know that this is a Jackson state team. That's going to be a real problem for people all year. So I'm, I'm very bullish on Jackson state. I'll go to Delaware state. How about that? I'm going to say I'm very bullish about Delaware state coach Rod Milstead getting a win, open up the season against Bowie state who look, I thought Bowie, I thought this was the test for Bowie state. I mean, we talked about the fact that Bowie state has not lost, to a uh, look, I'm trying to find my notes here. We we talked about they had lost to a non-conference HBCU team in almost three years. The last time they lost the season opener was 2018, I think it was. Um, the defending under D1 Black College National Champions 
They were the uh, what else? What else can I? What other accolades can I give? Bowie? They were on a 16 game regular season winning streak. There was a lot going on there, and Delaware State jumped on them. Uh, a, a pick six at the end of the first half pushed the lead to 26 to three. Uh, they picked off Jerome Johnson four times. They had two fumble recoveries. They blocked three kicks. Just an overall yeoman's effort and and look at this drew and i'll get off of this i did the math there are 45 true freshmen on delaware state's roster there are 52 redshirt and true freshmen there are 70 redshirt sophomores to true freshmen those are guys that have only been in the program for what one to three years i think that is yes so over over 75% of that roster is made up of redshirt sophomores or younger. Delaware State, pay attention, watch out for them. They're going to be a a a they're going to be a team to reckon with in the next season or two. Might even be this season depending upon what happens. So who's your next team that you're bullish about? I am bullish about Albany State, the Golden Rams. Defeated Mississippi College, twenty-four to nothing. But but check out the check out this stat line though. Well, Mississippi College only completed three passes for the entire day for thirty for thirty-eight yards. So you would think that Mississippi College was run heavy, which they were, thirty-four rushing attempts, but only gave only gave up one hundred and forty-eight yards rushing. So definitely bullish about Albany State and for Albany State to say basically the face of the of the SIAC when it came to non-conference games over, over the weekend. And they were the only SIAC to win a non-conference game, correct? Yes. So got, got have to be bullish about the Albany State Rams. I'm bullish about Prairie View A&M after their 40 to 17 win over Texas Southern and the Labor Day Classic in Houston. But the reason I'm so bullish about Prairie View, they got a quarterback, Jawan Pass, transfer from Louisville. Matter of fact, this young man apparently, you know, just uh, 2018 had started nine of 11 games that he played in for Louisville, had a foot injury in 2019, and I don't think he was fully capable of playing in 2020. So I don't know if he has one or two years left. Uh, This is sort of his redshirt senior year, but then again, last year he got an extra year of eligibility. So Jawan Pass, all he does in his season debut goes 25 of 37, 354 yards passing, throws three touchdowns with one interception. Then he runs seven times for 47 yards as well for preview. And he's 6'4", big size. Got I felt like this is all preview need. Preview needed to find some a quarterback to go with its defense. So I'm interested to see, can preview keep this up? The last time they had a guy with this kind of size, they were wrecking havoc offensively on with people. Uh, that was the name by Jalen Morton. So let's see if Jawan Pass 
can keep things going for Prairie View. All right, let's go to teams that we're bearish about, Drew. Teams that we are bearish about going into or after week one. Who are we? Who are you bearish about? Tuskegee. <laughs> one hundred three yards of total offense, only Oof. four yards rushing. You know. The Tuskegee alumni, which I which I am a part of, are a very or a very proud group. Tuskegee does not have 696 victories for no reason. Tuskegee is not 99 victories clear of the number two team, which is Florida AM when it comes to victories at 597. With all of that being said, the Tuskegee alumni. And I'm, I'm speaking for the alumni. This is not my personal feelings. This is just some of the alumni chats that I have been a part of. Things are dangerous. Are not happy right now. And for the alumni to feel this way after our coach has been there for 15 years, slow down, Tuskegee. Slow down just a little bit. But I do have to be bearish about what I saw out there on the field offensively, but let's give it time. We are Tuskegee for a reason. Hopefully the tradition shall rise again. Yeah. You, you right now, you, you say that you're throwing around that name and uh, well, look, Hey, show me a fan base that lost and is happy today. That's all I'm going to say. And I'll show you a team that's used to losing. That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'll say. So, uh, Tuskegee, you are not alone. There are other people in the woods with you complaining. We ain't worried about nobody else. We, we, nah, I'm we just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> I, 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 tweeted, I tweeted something out, Drew, earlier that I, I said I miss message boards. Because remember with message boards after a loss, you had to actually go log on to your computer and then actually log in, go find the computer, log in, sit there and complain. Nowadays, because of Twitter, you just whip out the phone, jump on Twitter, and just let it flow. And it's a hot mess. So, Or, or, or the Facebook chat groups. Yes, all, all accessible via your phone. So I miss chat. I miss message boards when, you, when there was no cell phone and you had to actually go log on to a computer. So I miss those true, days. That's what the true fans used to do. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Now anybody can get on there and complain about just dumb mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, I, I was really, I was really amused Saturday night at some of the stuff I read. Uh, fam, you Twitter, I'm talking to you. All right, um, let's go to North. I'm, I'm bearish about North Carolina A and T, uh, and I'm, I think the Jermaine Martin held to just 35 yards rushing. Uh, they were, they were outgained as a a team. Uh, let's see, 362 to 260. Oh, excuse me. 487 to 339 by Furman. Uh, I mean, this is an ANT team that has historically shown up against non-conference FCS and even FBS opponents. But I, I think the it just it just makes me question and wonder whether this might be a rebuild or a not necessarily a reload for the Aggies. And it'll be interesting to see. Uh, because I think there was a lot of hype 
Look, they were they were preseason ranked number one in the HBCU Pro Sports Media poll. A lot of other polls had them ranked number two. So for them to lose the way they did, I, I'm really nervous. And I think upcoming, uh, their schedule drew for A&T. They've got Duke coming up and a bye, and then they play North Carolina Central. As it's, if you if you if you ask me today, who I'm more likely to pick, I'm more likely to pick North Carolina Central. And I say that a complete 180 based on where I was, what, 10 days ago, you know? So, uh, yeah. And one more, second team you're bearish about, Drew. Virginia State. To lose a region game, it happens. But to lose a region game the way that Virginia State lost that region game in – with against a team that you are expected to compete. And if you're going to be one of the elite teams in the CIAA, you are going to see teams of this caliber in the playoffs. Virginia State, check this out, Brian. 90 yards passing total. 58 yards rushing on 26 attempts. So, Virginia State, you, it has come down to you and Bowie the last three years in the CIAA. You have been right there on the cusp of an at-large birth. Unless, we t- unless you turn it around real quick this year, it ain't going to happen, Bowie. Because no, because they're not going to put you in when you have results like this against equal competition. And Lenore Ryan is considered equal competition with the regional standings. Well said. Um, I will close this segment by saying I'm bearish about FAMU. To be honest, I, I, I really am. And, and that's because of the quarterback position I I think there was so much talent and so much hype about the talent and for whatever reason the quarterback position was an absolute mess and the play calling didn't look consistent and I, I hope it gets fixed but you know when you haven't when you haven't seen your team win in uh, almost two years, I, I'm you know seven hundred something days now. That uh, that gets to be that gets to you, and so I think that's that's the sentiment by a lot of folks, Rattler Nation, uh, about their team right now. And all season we kind of thought one guy, but uh, I think once we if people were really being honest with themselves and they were listening to what Coach was saying. Coach was trying to tell us that there was another quarterback that might be a better play, and I think he waited a little bit too long. And I think the fact that he waited, I I thought the quarterback change should have happened at halftime. I'm not the head coach, obviously. So uh, he gets paid a lot of money to make that decision. I, I, I think he made it late. And, you know, it kind of cost us. 
among other things. There were other penalties and mistakes, but I can't help but going back and look at the box score, and I see nothing, nothing but donuts in the second half. Two field goals, one touchdown, and I can't come away but help them think, Drew, a field goal was blocked at the end of the first half. Just imagine had that actually not got blocked and it been made. Family wins 9-7. You mean we could have won 9-7? to seven? Oof. I, but anyway, that so hopefully my mind is changed. I know Fort Valley is coming into town, and hopefully I'm feeling better about things. Did you, in a week. If you saw what I saw on defense for Fort Valley, fam, you need to be a little concerned. All right, well said. All right, that's going to do it for this show. Make sure to like and subscribe. Follow us on social media at mybcsn one You see our personal Twitter feeds. Hit us up. Let us know what you uh, think about. Uh, Appreciate everybody that's been chatting in YouTube. We appreciate you. Uh, Make sure to like like this broadcast, please. Go ahead and hit that thumbs up right now. Everybody who's in there, uh, however many people are in there, hopefully when you were in there, you hit the thumbs up. And uh, if you're watching this on Facebook, like and share. And uh, if you're on Twitter, make sure you're following us. And uh, that's going to do it for... Tomorrow night, tomorrow night, seven, 7 o'clock Eastern, 6 o'clock Central, Dr. Cavill's inside the HBCU Sports Lab, followed at 8.30 Eastern, 7.30 Central, Nights of the Roundtable, where we'll release the polls, the media polls, tomorrow evening. Uh, did your number your number one, I'm sure, didn't change, or did it? Yes. In, in, no, in which- no, my... Oh, oh, I, and I'll go ahead and say this. My number one on the major poll stayed the same because I had Alabama A&M number one in, in, in the preseason too. poll. I did too. I did but too. my number, number one, one on the mid-major poll did change. Uh, mine did too. Mine did too. Um, all right, that's going to do it for this episode. Again, shout out and much appreciation to Jamie Walker for coming in and joining us and, of course, to Charles Bishop. Uh, for joining us as well. For AD Drew, I'm Brian Fulford. Thanks for watching the BCSN Sports Wrap. We'll see you later on in the week as we get ready for week number two of the college football season. Make sure to stay tuned with everything we do on the Black College Sports Network. We appreciate you, and stay safe. Good night. God bless. Peace out. I holla.